Okay. Monday episode. It's Monday again. It's not Monday. We're recording this on Thursday, but this Don't is tell for. Them that. <sighs> we recorded the day it goes out, and there's no editing. If that would be crazy if we actually did that. <laughs> Uh, no, we have to work way ahead of time because of my travel schedule, but today I'm very excited because um, rather than focusing on a project or an operation this time, I'm going to focus on a specific machine, and this is a machine I get so many questions about, uh, and so I'm excited to just run through it all. Um, to get right into it, I love custom applications. I love uh, machines that are engineered for anything but dirt and rock. That's what most digging machines are engineered for. Excavators, loaders is dirt, rock, moving material. But there's all these other applications like forestry, waste, material handling <clears throat> that apply to machines that, that use machines all the time uh, that are built for these applications. And they are so, so cool to check out. But among the most brutal conditions or maybe even the most brutal condition for a machine is hot work, which is working in steel mills. Um, my, my first experience with steel mills was about four years ago when I visited bulk equipment in Indiana for the first time, mm -hmm. um, bulk to just give some background on the company. It's a very cool history. Started about 80 years ago as a gravel delivery business. Uh, Clarence Brown, who started the company would load his trucks by hand from the shores of Lake Michigan and then deliver the stone to whatever site needed it, uh, as the area con continued to industrialize. Uh, 80 years ago was 40s. Yes. Yes. So World War II. Uh, and this, this, this area was really important for World War II because of what we'll get into steel. Um, naturally, the company started to take on other work like earth moving, material handling. And then they, they loaded uh, and unloaded ships from Lake Michigan. They built roads and highways and assisted with railroad operations. But then came Bethlehem Steel. Uh, the company chose Burns Harbor for its newest integrated steel mill thanks to the easy raw materials import. You have the lake right there and the lake is connected to all the other lakes and all these other waterways. So you can bring uh, coke and coal from Appalachia very easily in and then iron ore primarily from Minnesota in and so you can load all your raw materials off the lake from ships right to your steel mill and make your steel. Bada bing, bada boom. Bulk then got the uh, mill's earthwork contract and the rest was history. They've been there ever since, which is pretty amazing. They helped build the damn place and now they're, they're uh, basically doing a little bit of everything. In the mills, if you walk around Burns Harbor, you'll see trucks for hauling heavy equipment of all shapes and sizes, and then even one-off specialty machines for the steelmaking process that um, uh, bulk essentially rents to the, the, the operations, which I'll explain in a moment. Um, steel mills, the main tool for a steel mill is the blast furnace. And if I'm explaining a blast furnace very simply, 
They feed raw ingredients like carbon, which is pure uh, coal that's been baked into coke, and iron to create steel eventually. And there's a lot more that goes into it. It's a science project. Yeah. But that's... That's the basic. You really need carbon to produce the energy required to melt down the iron and other raw inputs to create that liquid. And then here's where the hot work comes into play. Um, There's impurities. And so the impurities in the materials separate from the molten iron, uh, forming what's known as slag. Uh, And slag has a different density than the molten iron. So the mill can skim the slag into uh, enormous pits or pots for further processing. So slag is a byproduct. People say it's a co-product. I think it's more of a byproduct, but that's what the slag association says. They they use it for stuff? Yeah, you you, you can crush it and use it. But you can use it, yeah, for sandblasting media. You can use it for aggregate. You can use it for different uses, but I don't think it's all that common. Um, and so the slag coming out of the blast furnace at this point is about 2,500 degrees. And so it's quite literally lava, mostly molten rock. Uh, it's, it's absolutely mesmerizing uh, seeing slag pour out into one of these pits is one of the coolest things I've seen. It's it's hard to describe how cool it is. Um, we talked about it in the smelting episode with Kennecott. You're, for whatever reason, your mind is just immediately drawn to it like a moth to a flame. Um, when I first went to one of these big mills, from afar, I got to see the loaders digging into the slag. And you can tell even from far away that these aren't these aren't your everyday loaders. Everything about them is very, very custom. But I didn't the first few times I was at steel mills, I didn't get to see these loaders up close, which was a bummer. But I knew I would find the time to see them in action. And so if you fast forward a few years, I then visited bulk equipment at a different mill. Um, this mill was a little smaller, but bulk supplied two Caterpillar 988 loaders to handle slag to this mill. Um, and before we get into the loaders themselves, just to give everybody a little context as far as how the business works, bulk rents these machines to, um, to many, many of the mills and the steel mills, they're in one business and that's just making steel. So every everything else is uh, almost uh, just a cost to them. The product is steel. So, because it's bulk equipment, right? So yes. it's, it's mostly just... They just provide equipment. Just, just provide equipment. Yeah. So they... The mills, because they make the steel, they want to keep the machines off their balance sheets. Yeah. And keep their operating costs even to perform more consistently as a business. So they just want to know what their costs are every month from a mobile equipment standpoint. And Bulk can do that. So Bulk says, we'll rent you the machines monthly. Mm-hmm. You pay us X amount of dollars so you know what your operating costs are. We'll cover everything. We'll maintain the machines. And then we'll not just maintain the machines, but we'll guarantee uptime for critical machines. And they guarantee uptime... Um, for critical jobs like digging slag, 
by supplying two identical machines. So while one's yeah. down for maintenance or repairs, they can have the other working as needed. That's a that's a really good deal. It's like getting insurance and and maintenance and everything wrapped into one, yeah. one package so that it's just super easy for their balance sheet. Well, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, up front, it probably costs them more, but they, yeah. they like just being able to, well, no, it doesn't cost them more because they don't have to actually invest in the plant to begin with. Yeah, and they, yeah, they don't yeah. have to maintenance them the same. Yeah, yeah. So now for the machines themselves. Um, when we visited this mill for the first time, we were we were there on a cold day, and mills look like completely different planets. Uh, there's there's buildings and trucks everywhere, and then I say cold because you have all the huge chunks of steel lying around the mill, and you can see the heat coming off these big chunks of steel as they're cooling, which is it's really amazing. Uh, and that's one of the things I've been told in meals in mills is just assume everything is hot. Don't lean up against anything. Don't touch anything yeah. because it's probably hot. And yeah, that looks like a cool piece of steel, but it could still be hundreds and hundreds of degrees mm -hmm. hot. And, and that will burn, burn you bad. So don't touch a single thing. Um, so we drove around and then we arrived at bulks onsite workshop where they work on the machines and that's when we first saw one of the loaders, the 988 Swag Handler. Um, typically, the 988 is a quarry platform built to dig shot rock from a face, carry buckets of material from a face to a crusher, and manage aggregate piles. So this is typically a quarry platform, uh, almost Always will you see 988s working in aggregate in rock at quarries. But these machines are not built for gravel. They've been heavily modified. Uh, first of all, bulk buys older machines so that they don't have emissions, which is very critical from a reliability standpoint because anybody running any kind of machines, machine with emissions knows that there are, they're less reliable mm -hmm. than old school machines. So they run primarily H models, I believe. So they take these H models, they break them down, and then they modify them. And I have a list of modifications. Um, they have to remove all plastic and rubber from the machine's exterior and replace everything with steel and metal. So if you look around a machine, you'll notice a lot of rubber, a lot of plastic, like around lights, like mirrors, and all of that has to go because of the heat. They uh, build steel belly pan guard plates to uh, protect the engine and transmission of the machine. They have to fire sleeve all of the hydraulic hoses, grease lines, and uh, wiring harnesses with a high heat protective sleeve. They have to uh, upgrade the cooling package, of course. They upgrade or install a fire suppression system. They upgrade the tires to smooth radial tires with protective chains on them, which are very expensive. They upgrade the bucket to an application-specific bucket. Uh, this bucket is built specifically for slag and high heat. If you put a normal bucket into slag, it will uh, completely 
crack and be destroyed very quickly. So these buckets are way reinforced, built with a harder steel, and then the floor of the bucket is is way, way, way more heavy duty, which is pretty cool. So it's like it's like tool metal, basically. Like, I don't know. Yeah, stronger than that. It's, yeah, it's way stronger than anything you'd ever see on a normal bucket. And it just looks beefier. Yeah. Um, they <clears throat> install blast resistant glass on the cab. Uh, normal glass doesn't cut it. They have a park brake override system and transmission override system in case they have to recover the machine, in case the machine dies while it's on the slag pile. There's a hook on the back. They can grab the machine and pull it out without the machine being locked up. They reinforce the fuel tank. They reinforce the hydraulic tank. And they install a pressurized cab system, uh, air system. And my favorite feature, above all else, is a boot cleaner on the back. <laughs> so those are the modifications. Um, Aircon or no? Well, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, oh, pressurized cab. Yeah, pressurized so, cab. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, reinforced and, and upgraded there. Um. So this was the the first time I saw one of these machines. We drooled over the machine in the shop. It was getting worked on. I think the bucket was getting worked on. Some preventative maintenance was getting done. And then, of course, we asked, well, where's the other one? Is it working? And they said, boy, is it working? So we said, let's go see it. Um, and at this mill, about every hour or so, they produce more slag from the steelmaking process. And rather than... Um, like a slag pool outside of the blast furnaces, like the bigger mills that I've been to. This mill has a pit inside of the mill where they dump the slag from a pot. So sirens sound as basically this giant pot lined with steel pot lined with ceramic carries the slag that's been skimmed off from the steel making process over to the pit. Then the crane tips the pot and pours the slag into the pit, uh, which is, I would say, one of the top five coolest things I've ever seen in my life. It's just crazy to see liquid rock and metal splattering in front of you from a safe distance. And sparking. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just, it's just insane. Uh, then the pot goes away. The crane takes the, the pot away. And that's when the loader really goes to work. Um. The key here, and this is what I've they've explained to me, is that even though the loader is is protected, it's still twenty five hundred degree slag. <laughs> it's still lava, and so the they teach the operator to work the slag ahead of the machine with the specialty bucket. You don't just want to drive on top of the slag, or else the machine's potentially going to catch fire. So you you put your bucket down. And you start working the slag in front of you with the bucket, and the machine you'll notice is always moving. You don't want to you don't want to keep the machine in one place for any amount of time either, because the tires can catch fire first is is the the highest risk. So the goal is to keep the the tires on the ground and kind of off the slag pile. Well, it's it yeah, but it's it's all hot around you. Yeah, so because there's been slags. St- sitting on there so you you have to still you don't want 
While you can drive on it, in theory, you try not to because it can damage the tires, catch them on fire, mm-hmm. especially if you stop for too long. It's like the hot, machine can catch fire. Like hot potato with a massive machine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just such a specialized specialized gig. Um, the machine will come in and and work the slag a little bit to spread it out so it cools down. They don't want to handle it when it's in its liquid state typically because it just makes a mess. So they try to cool it out, cool it down a little bit. And then as it starts to solidify, it's still glowing and it's it's no longer liquid. They'll They'll dig it and haul it to a pile outside of the mill which will then have uh, like sprinklers spraying water on it to cool it down further before they they load it out. But some of it definitely is like molten in the middle, though. Yeah, no, you can you can. I mean, it's still glowing. Yeah. They're, they're picking up these buckets of material, and and the whole bucket's glowing. So it's it's still it's starting to get to a more solid state. Yeah, but it's still two thousand degrees. And is there like a time period that they have to work like? Is there a time where it's like, oh shit, I have to get this done before it completely solidifies? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't let it set up too much or else it's stuck there and then they have to bring a hammer and chisel it all out to carry it out, which which happens. Yeah. I think there's a lot of like slag pots you'll see or just pots in general at mills for whatever reason. The something will cool and then they'll have to go in there with a little jackhammer and basically peck it all out to 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 recover that pot. Mm. So yeah, they have to do it. They have to do it shortly after it's poured or else it uh, it all cools down and then becomes just a solid mass. A mass, yeah. Um, so they pour it, they, they bring it outside the mill, they cool it down, and then they load it into like rigid frame mining trucks. Um, the mining trucks then haul the material, which is mostly rock and some scrap steel that ends up in the slag to a nearby recovery plant and then the recovery plant as the material cools down further they recover the steel with uh magnets so they pull the giant chunks of steel out so that they can recycle it back into the steel making process as as scrap and then they crush the slag into aggregate uh, and I will never get tired of seeing these machines. It's it's amazing because it's like five minutes of really cool work. You're just standing around for 45 minutes <laughs> waiting for this thing to go, and then it's go time. But when it's go time, it is go time. And the operators are probably pretty pretty good at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, it's a crazy line of work. I've talked yeah. to some guys online that do it, and it's... What can really be gnarly, they've said, and this is just random at no specific mill, is that when water mixes with slag, it basically is like an explosion because of mm-hmm. the, for whatever reason, the properties of water and high heat don't mix. Mm-hmm. So they have to be really careful with water. I uh, Shoot, some guy, I think he had, I don't know what it was, but I think he had water in the bucket because it rained of a loader. And then drove into a slag pile, and he said it lifted the entire machine off the ground. It was so Whoa. so aggressive was yeah. the, this reaction because of the high heat and the water. Well, that's cool why water. you you like you don't put out an oil fire like in a pan with water because it lifts everything up. Yeah, it just yes, spreads it out. Physics, 
Yeah. Um, and I guess with all this too, uh, just to make a note, this is super, super essential work, super essential work. Um, you couldn't live without, you know, a day without steel. If you drive a car, if you use electronics, if you live in a house, if you've ever walked inside of a building, um, a lot of our society comes down to steel. And it's plants like this that are making it for America, which is extremely important. Do you know how much steel is made in the States? Not nearly as much as what used to be made in the States. Like percentage-wise? I think it's very low. Yeah. Because uh, of environmental restrictions primarily. Um, Back in the day, most steel was made in Britain Mm -hmm. historically. And then American steel producers started to, to pop up. I think in the 1800s and then early 1900s, especially with like Carnegie, for example, and Carnegie Steel, yeah, yeah. Uh, they started to to then become more competitive than British Steel, partially because of tariffs and then also because of the the uh, plentiful uh, coking coal and iron ore. Mm-hmm. And then there were mills in the Pittsburgh area, and and that's why they call it the Rust Belt. Is that was really where a lot of American steel and, and global steel was made back in the day. Yeah, and that steel made there. Um, Carnegie's then sold it to J.P. Morgan, which became U.S. Steel, and a lot of that steel was what essentially helped win World War One, World War Two. Uh, and then globalize the world after that. Uh, but then because of environmental restrictions, we can't build new mills in the States. And so you're essentially nursing old mills, big mills, or you have to build mini mills, which are um, much smaller, primarily for scrap, uh, primarily operated, uh, they're primarily electric arc. So they use electricity rather than coal to melt everything down. And then as we've become less competitive, uh, places like markets like China have said, we'll build as many steel mills as we need to. And they get all the iron ore and coke and coal from Australia, make all the steel and ship it all over the world. So it's more specialized here a little bit. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. And then some of it's probably exported as well. No, no, I don't know. I don't know if much is actually exported. Hmm. I just don't think we're competitive when it comes to exports. That's true. I mean, why would you? I think a lot of it goes to U.S. military. I see. Yeah. 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 And automotive. Automotive takes a lot of coils and steel. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, but that's, I mean, rebar. Rebar. But that's uh, slag machines in a nutshell. Um. It's crazy to me that um, that like an engine is able to operate an internal combustion in those conditions. Is the radiator like on the back? No, because you're not like swimming in slag. Yeah. So you're not you're not like driving into a big pool of it. But the ambient temperature must be well over a hundred degrees. Yeah, but again, you're you're going in and out. So okay. you're and you're not working it for very long. So you're not going to just sit in there for an hour. Like if you're just sitting in there, just working, 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 you'll probably overheat the machine. But they, because of how they work it, they only have to go in there, work it a little bit, and then they come right back out. And then they let the machine sit for like 45 minutes, an hour until the next 
the next uh, batch comes through. I wonder how, heat. how frequently they have to change oil in them. I don't know, but uh, that's why Bulk has on-site technicians is they handle all that. They're they're just great people. It's, yeah. They're just great, great folks that work at this company. I love visiting them every time I do, and uh, it's pretty cool to see what they what they have out there. Yeah. I like, I, I love seeing things like that that are just, it, even me and Jack were just talking about it. Machines that are just maybe like an older machine that's like repurposed and um, just like sort of pimped out. Yeah. Basically. Well, these like are old race cars and stuff that are just like, you're like, well, that probably wouldn't be anywhere near competitive today with like a modern car. Yeah. But because you've done all these mods, it's like now competitive again, <laughs> and if not better. Yeah. And I just, I, I love seeing these modded machines because a lot of times it's, there isn't like a right way to do it. You don't just pull out the handbook and, oh, okay, so this is what we need. We need XYZ to actually modify this machine mm -hmm. like this. There isn't a standard like steel mill slag package from Caterpillar that you just order from factory. No. It's you have all... to, it's all trial by, uh, um, trial and error. So you, you build out the machine, you see what works, you see what doesn't work, you see what breaks, and then you basically iterate and build the next version of the machine for yourself mm -hmm. as you go yeah like the and we'll probably cover this operation at some point the d11s i see at the yalorn in yalorn in victoria in australia they they have four of them and each one of them is a little different than the others because they started with one and then based on what breaks and what works well <laughs> they start to iterate and build this one and that version two then version three then version four and they just keep building new and new, better and better versions of it because it's such a specific application. Those machines only work for this. So they can't really call anybody else and say, how'd you do it? They just have to figure it out. Uh, and again, Bulk's been doing this for decades, so they, they have it figured out. They have it pretty, pretty tapped. <laughs> they have it dialed, yeah. Uh, so that um, that's the slag handling loader. Sweet. Hope I get to see one one day. I probably never will, but... <laughs> Hopefully. There's well, plenty of footage, though. This um, one's not too far from us. So we'll link some footage in the description for this. Yeah, there's a video on yeah. YouTube about so, this stuff. Yeah, Actually, I think it's one of your best performing ones, too. Yeah, because it has lava in it. <clears throat> um, Everyone loves lava. Everybody who doesn't love lava. Um, so if you want, for Feature Monday episodes, me to feature a specific machine you've seen, on uh, on my social media, a project, a company, let me know. I'm trying to do more research and come more prepared to talk about unique things. Um, we covered Kennecott last time. We covered this machine this time. I might feature a specific company on the next one. I'm already thinking through which. I won't say yet, but I might do a company feature on the next go around. So if you, you have any ideas, send it to uh, dirttalk at buildwit.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. And we'll see you on the next one. Stay dirty, everybody.